Hello and welcome to Co-OpCast, a podcast about cooperative board games with your hosts, Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly. Hello and welcome to Co-OpCast. This is just a quick impressions episode. You still will get a full episode this Sunday on Too Many Bones, but for this episode, I wanted to cover The Seventh Continent. I played it the other night with my friend Don and two other people, and I just wanted to go over my quick thoughts on it, because I don't know that I'll ever get a chance to play it again, and I'm sure Mike and I won't get a chance to play it together, at least not anytime soon. So I did play one single session, and it took about four hours to complete. We did play the session to completion until basically our entire party died. And so I just wanted to give you my initial thoughts on what I thought about the game and some things I liked and some things I didn't like. Now I will say, of the four people in the group, I am probably the person that liked it the least, and I still liked it. There were a lot of good things to come away with. But I'll give you my concerns here at the end and the reason why I don't know that I will get it back to the table anytime soon. So let me start off. The Seventh Continent is an adventure game where you and a group of people are crashed on an island and you basically have to figure out how to solve these curses. Now, at the beginning of the game, you are given one curse, but you don't know anything about it. You have no idea how to solve it. You don't even know what to really do except explore around the island at the beginning. So I want to compare this game to a couple other very popular games that you guys might know. First is Robinson Crusoe, and I think it matches Robinson Crusoe with theme. You get this theme of being stranded on an island, and really the island is out to get you the entire time. There's always bad things coming at you, no matter what you do. Now when it comes to mechanics, I think it has a lot of similarities to Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. You're really just exploring around, you're flipping over cards, and you know there'll be points of interest on each of the cards that you can look at, explore, do whatever to. And the interesting part about this, it isn't run by an app like Mansions of Madness, but it's only run by cards. Really, 99% of the game is cards. You have some dice, which aren't used to roll. They're really only used for markers to show how many uses you have left on things. And then you have little miniatures for yourselves and little fires you can build on the island. But that's really it. It's just those miniatures and cards. And so... Every time you want to explore something or do something in the game, you're flipping over cards to let you know what to do. So it'll say, go to card 156 or 359. There are a lot of cards in this game. There are over 650 different cards. So there are lots of different options when you go through. Another comparison this game had for me was for Arkham Horror, the card game, where you have this hand of cards and you're really manipulating them. And it's not just your hand of cards. You actually have an entire deck of cards that the entire party shares. And as you do tests... The way you do a test in the game is it will tell you how many cards to flip and how many successes you need. So let's say it'll say you need to flip two cards, you don't need any stars to complete it, and stars are successes. So you have to flip over two cards, you get to keep one of those cards and put it in your hand, and then the other card you're going to discard. But as you're doing that, this deck of cards you have is your life pile. So the more time you go through, the more of these cards you have to draw, the less time you have left in the game. So that's kind of the timer for the game. And that reminds me a little of another game called Middle Earth Quest, where your life pile is really your deck of cards as well. And in all honesty, I really like this mechanic. I want I wanted to use it for games for a while now. We just haven't had the right game or the right time to do it. It is definitely something we are going to work with in the future. So the way it works is you're discarding these cards to go through tests. So maybe a test will say you draw two cards and you need two stars. 
that's kind of dicey 50-50 almost proposition, probably even a little less. So you might want to draw a third card instead. So if you draw these three cards, again, you're going through this life pile of yours to draw these cards. If you succeed, then you get to see what the reward is on the card. If you fail, you see what the failure penalty is on the card. So it's really a very simple system. And then as you're drawing cards into your hand, they may help you do things. Like a card in your hand may say, add a star to the challenge you just completed. So if you needed two stars, you only got one, this card will help you get that last star you need. Or maybe it'll be something like an item. Whenever you do a climbing test, get plus two to your climbing skill or plus one success and you need to use one less card on your climbing skill. So these items that you craft from your hand, which you're getting from the deck, which is your life pile. So really at the beginning of the game, you're starting with nothing. And then you're drawing these cards into your hand and then you're playing them down to help you complete these tasks. And so everybody has one special power associated with their character. And then you have five unique cards that are going to get shuffled into this deck. And then as they come out, you're hoping that you draw them yourself so you can use the special powers you have for your own character. So that's really neat. I think that hand manipulation from Arkham Horror, again, deciding which cards you want to use, when you want to use them is a really neat choice in the game. And then this deck of cards also counts as your life, very similar to the way it happens in Middle Earth Quest. Now, with all that said, the game that this most reminds me of is actually Time Stories. And the reason I say that is you are trying to solve a mystery in this game. You're first of all trying to figure out what this curse is, and then you're trying to figure out how to get rid of it. And to be honest, we played a four-hour session the other night, and I feel no closer to knowing how to what that curse was or how to get rid of it. So the reason I say it's like Time Stories is because we are four hours in, we lost... And basically, we have to start over again. Now, the reason it's time stories and not some of these other adventure games is the map is going to be laid out the same every single time you played it. So you are getting knowledge for your future plays through this game. So for example, we know where certain items are in certain areas. Those items are always going to be in those areas. And so we do have knowledge. It'll help us go through faster the beginning parts of the game the next time we played. And for me, that's where some of the negatives of the game come in. But first, let me talk about all the positives. And I think you've gotten a little bit of an impression of what I think of some of the positives so far. The thing I really love about this game is that every skill check is done the same, right? It's draw this many cards, you need this many successes. The nice part is it lets you choose how much you want to mitigate your luck. So if it says draw two plus cards, you need one success, you could draw 10 cards if you want. You'll almost definitely get it, but you're wasting a lot of time doing that. And I guess that has some similarities to Robinson Crusoe also. It's not just the theme, but that push your luck. How much do you want to push your luck? Now, some of these tests will say draw four cards, and there's no option. No draw more, no draw less. And a lot of times they'll even require a high success rate, like get seven successes on four cards. Well, that's almost impossible to do unless you've acquired some items throughout the game to do those. So it's not always the best time to do it if you've not equipped yourself to do certain tasks or challenges. And certainly the better an item you have to complete those tasks or challenges, the easier it's going to be. Even if you can do it now, it may be save you more time to do it later. So I really like that element of, well, I kind of want to know what everything is, but at the same time, it would cost me way too much to do that right now. I like that every time you are doing a skill check, you are gaining a card to your hand. Now, I guess this isn't always true. Some of the skill checks say draw zero cards 
do zero stars. You could draw more than zero cards if you want just to get cards in your hand, but a lot of times you're not going to want to do it. A lot of times there will be a check where you're going to need to draw cards soon enough anyway, so you're usually not going to draw cards unless you really need to. But the thing I like about it is even if you fail a skill check, you're still getting new cards into your hand. If you succeed it, you succeeded the check and you're still getting new cards into your hand. So I really like that element of even when something bad happens, you get these good things to go along with it. So you get this good feeling and it keeps the positive energy flowing. I like the fact also that there are always too many choices. We talked a little bit about Mansions of Madness, how a lot of times you want to explore everything and you just kind of do explore everything. And I think there's a little bit of that in this game too. But if you really want to get through and beat these tasks, I really think you have to be more streamlined and focused. But of course we don't do that. We're gamers. We want to explore every nook and cranny of the universe. And so we start doing these things. Let me just see what happens if I look over the cliff here. Let me see what happens if I stick my hand in this bush over here. So you end up doing a lot of these things. The nice part though, I think, is you won't do them again the second time, right? And you don't need to do them the second time. Unless there was something in there you really needed, you don't have to do the same things over and over. So while it's like time stories where there's a lot of different things going on, I also think it's like time stories and the fact that Once you've been through it once, you're going to know, okay, I'm not going to do this, 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 and this. And that's how you buy yourself extra time for these future missions. And the last huge pro for me is some of the things you'll find on the island are food sources. And so if you eat that food, you take some of the cards from your discard pile and shuffle it back in your active pile. So as you feed yourself, you're buying yourself more time. And that's really cool. Now, I did have a couple of negatives, obviously. I said, I like the game, but I probably won't play it anymore. There are a couple of reasons. This first one, I think, is overcomable. I don't think it's a four-player game and we played it with four players. I think this is a one- or two-player game. A lot of times you're just going around together anyway because it costs you less time if you move as a group. And so a lot of times you will just be moving together and then somebody will be encountering the card. If you don't care whether it's you flipping over cards or being as involved, maybe you won't mind as much. But there were definitely times, especially when we split the party, where I didn't really care what was going on over there. I mean, yes, it was okay... I guess this is part of it too. The story wasn't engaging enough for me to feel like I wanted to know or cared what was going on with the other half of the group. And in fact, it wasn't even a story a lot of times. I just felt like the island kept hitting us with bad things over and over and over again. So basically, we're just overcoming skill checks throughout the time. Now, I'm sure if we'd been on the right path and really uncovered more story elements, that would have been better. But we weren't, and so a lot of times I was disengaged with what was going on with the other half. And in fact, they say players can take their turns in any order, but I would almost say if you've split the party, you could take your turns at the same exact time. And we did that a couple times throughout the game. It's like, you know what, while you're resolving that or while you're deciding which card you're going to keep out of the ones you drew for your skill check, we're going to go ahead and start exploring this area over here. So I did feel like four players was a little too much, at least for my tastes, for a game like this. The last thing I want to talk about, and this is the biggest negative for me, is we are four hours into this game and we have to start all over at the beginning again with a little bit of knowledge. But to be honest, I don't feel like we uncovered anything throughout the mission. I know people were getting into it because they liked the stories and some of the things that were happening. But to be honest, there was only one or two stories that stuck out in my mind from that first mission that I won't forget. Everything else was very forgettable to me. You know, it's like you do something and something bad happens, or you do something and something good happens. So 
for me, it's a lot of time investment, and I really didn't feel like I went anywhere. I felt like I was spinning my wheels, and I didn't think the story was good enough to keep me engaged and looking for more. I, and, and the other part is I guess I don't even see a light at the end of the tunnel after four hours. I feel like I have very little knowledge that will help me with the next time I play. And in fact, and this is one of the good parts about it, while it is somewhat linear, there are a lot of different options. Once we got off the initial place we were at, we had three different choices of places to go, which is great. But at the same time, with such an open world, there's a lot of stuff to explore still. And I don't know where we need to go. I know where we don't need to go, I think. But maybe I'm even wrong about that. Maybe we just didn't go the right direction once we got to where we went. And so it's really hard to see a light at the end of the tunnel because I don't even know if we were on the right path or not. And so that's one of the hard parts about the game is we played four hours. If you want four hours of just experience and you enjoy the experience you're having, then you'll like it. But for me, I really engage with the mechanics I did like where it was going. I liked a lot of the ideas with the game. I just wish it didn't take so long to play. And maybe it was just, it was a learning game and maybe our group was going slower than it should have gone, but I really did feel disengaged a lot of the game. And so the theme for me just didn't grab me. And I wish it would have better because there are a lot of things to like in this game. Well, anyway, that's just my quick impressions of The Seventh Continent. I know a lot of people love this game, and a lot of people are going to love this game. I don't know how many people are going to finish this game, because we're only on the first out of six scenarios. There's going to be a lot of time investment. Now, I do think in later scenarios, your time investment may decrease, because you've uncovered some knowledge, even in these early missions. If you went the wrong way, you may have future knowledge for doing other missions. But I think if it takes you a long time between gameplays, you're going to forget a lot of that. And to be honest, there are a lot of things I've already forgotten from our game, and that was just two nights ago. So I do think a lot of people are going to love this game. I know it's getting a lot of buzz on Board Game Geek right now. I hope you guys enjoy it. But just know, if you're not in it, if you're not going to have a lot of time to commit to it, I don't know that you're going to get the full experience out of this game. So anyway, I did want to send out, before I close up this episode, I did want to send out some appreciation. Thank you, guys. We have five five five-star reviews on iTunes already. I know we're a fairly new podcast now. We've already got a great written review along with one of those five stars. We really do appreciate that. Please, if you just can take one or two minutes to go to iTunes and rate and review the podcast, it'll help other people find it, and that really helps us out. So anyway, that's it for now, and until this Sunday... Thanks for joining us on another episode of Co-OpCast. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Co-OpCast. We'll be back in two weeks to review another cooperative board game. Until then, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, if you like co-op games and why else would you be here, check out coopboardgames.com. They have some great cooperative board game material. If you want to contact us, feel free to follow us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at MVP Board Games at gmail.com. 